We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. McConnell pushing again, gets underneath, finds Sabonis for the dunk and the foul. Karis LeVert, people don't realize how good he really is. LeVert, skies high for the jam. Brogdon for three. Boom, baby! <laughs> Duarte for three. Big time shot. Warren lets it fly. Yes! What's up, everybody? Uh, this is Dwayne Washington Jr., and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Hey, what's going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. And you guys know who I'm joined by every week. It's the one and only Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, brother? Alex, life is good. I am fresh off of a trip from Tampa, which finally got to go on a plane for the first time about roughly two years. Uh, you know, nice weather over there. Came home, nothing but smiles. And then the TJ Warren news dropped. And we're hearing that he's not recovering maybe as fast as they initially reported. Raises a lot of questions. We don't have enough answers right now. Yeah, so the official tweet from the Pacers Twitter handle, Instagram handle, was TJ Warren's stress fracture in his left foot is healing during the rehabilitation process, but not at the pace previously anticipated. He remains out indefinitely, and further updates will be provided as warranted. So, T.J. Warren is a guy that I think a lot of people are expecting a big year out of him with Rick Carlisle. We heard Kevin Pritchard really highlight how bad this team missed him last season. And so this injury, it it appeared from what we had heard that, hey, maybe T.J. Warren's ready to go. I think Jay Michael had a report saying T.J. Warren was, you know, playing basketball again or or, or fully back to 100%. So I'm just not really sure what's going on. So maybe there was a hiccup in the rehab process. I, I don't know. But with that being said, this leaves a lot of questions for us, Fachi, and I think the first question we need to answer is if he's not ready to go by the start of the season, who is taking over those minutes that T.J. Warren will be normally playing? You know, it's, it's a very interesting question that you ask, and right now I would have it between two players. I would say O'Shea Brissett and then Justin Holiday. Holiday has the familiarity with the Pacers in the starting lineup. Brissett is a guy that finished the season really strong, so – you know, it's going to be very interesting. You got to imagine it. it's it's that three that we're talking about, which, you know, Justin Holiday can slide right into the three, the four. O'Shea, yeah, sure, you know, you could do the same. But I see that as Justin Holiday 
most likely to take over that starting spot if TJ Warren is not healthy. Yeah, see, I don't, I don't see O'Shea because I see him more as a four. I, I think that that's his true position. So I don't think they're going to mess with him, putting him in there at the three. He'll come off the bench as the backup four, in my opinion. I think it really does come down to Justin Holiday, And then maybe, maybe you look at Chris Duarte. I'm not saying that you automatically insert him in there and give him the starting role because he needs to kind of earn it. Like we say, he's a rookie. I don't want to just throw him right into the mix there. But at the same time, if you've got a guy out, if he's his backup in terms of minutes, then that could make some sense. I think Torrey Craig also could make some sense just because he's a defensive-minded guy. They went out and got him. We've talked about with the money they gave him, there's got to be a role carved out for him. I think the Pacers might have known that T.J. Warren wasn't fully getting back the way they had hoped that he would in terms of rehab process. So that could be why they brought in Torrey Craig, hoping that he could maybe fill some of that void in case Warren has to miss significant time, specifically if there's back-to-backs and stuff like that where they don't play him. That's where you could really see Torrey Craig's maybe minutes increase in those games that you don't see T.J. Warren. Very possible. Now you also got to ask yourself, has this had an impact on Jeremy Lamb's trade market? Because we're wondering, you know, we saw the Brooklyn Nets, you know, dump DeAndre Jordan, a million picks to him and, and everything of the sort. But we're wondering, you telling me the Pacers can't get rid of Jeremy Lamb? Maybe they know that Warren might not be healthy, good to go. And having Lamb on the roster to at least start the season could be something that they're strongly considering. Yeah, he definitely gives you wing depth. I don't think he's a bad player. We've talked about that before. I just don't think he really has a spot in the rotation. So this might actually give them a little bit of an ample opportunity to play Jeremy in those backup small forward minutes. If you start Justin, play Jeremy off the bench, let people see, hey, he's healthy. And then when TJ Warren comes back, then maybe more teams would be enticed or interested in trading for Jeremy Lamb. But I think at this point, too, you have to wonder, TJ Warren's entering a contract year. He's injured. Quite often throughout his career, we, we saw him go pretty much two years ago in 2019-2020 without a significant injury. I know he did miss time a little bit there around the February-March time frame before the COVID pandemic hit. But does that make T.J. Warren somewhat expendable as well now, Flachi? It does. And we, we've heard, and I don't want to say it does, you know, and just say, oh, for sure. But it, it's like we've heard about Warren's injury history for a while now. But we love TJ Warren player, and we want to see him again. But yeah. here's the thing. The Pacers, if they're going to make, give him a, a contract offer, he's going to be the highest paid player on the team. I mean, you imagine a, a TJ Warren deal is starting, you know, right north of that $20 million mark. Could easily be, you know, it could be five years, $100 million, whatever it is. You're, you're getting up there. So to commit that much money, you know, if you're the Pacers, it's got to be to the right player and I just feel like a healthy TJ Warren is someone that you feel is the right player he wants to be here and real quick he just tweeted out while yeah. we're recording this Pacer fans just wanted you to hear this straight from me after I do this rehab process right so that I can get back on the court as soon as I can and be the best that I can and I fully believe when he says that because we know TJ Warren he does not tweet much he doesn't say much when he says it, you got to listen. So you said he's expendable, though, right? If he's not going to be healthy, that's the thing. Because yeah. I, I want to believe that, no, he's not expendable. We need to keep this guy. But, I mean, we saw the bolt the Pacers dodged with Victor Oladipo. That's not the same injury at all. But it's just the Pacers are the kind of team that if you're going to pay someone, you know, north of $20 million, 
It's got to be the right guy, and I want it to be T.J. Warren. Well, I think that with the injury, depending on how long it lingers and what's going on, this could financially benefit the Pacers. I hate to be this person because I, you know, I think T.J. Warren deserves all the money that he deserves, but if he's injury prone, is there a way the Pacers can maybe financially get a bit of a discount because of that injury? So I think that that's something to keep an eye on as well. We saw the same thing happen with Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. That allowed them to get Kevin Durant. I'm not saying that's going to happen for the Pacers, but what I'm saying is sometimes when players have injury history, they might take the guaranteed money instead of doing what Oladipo did and bet on himself and then have to sign for a minimum contract with the Miami Heat. Look, Oladipo, like you said, his injury is completely different, but I think that this is something to really monitor because I could I could fully see the Pacers trying to pay T.J. Warren the money he deserves, but also hinting at, hey, you know, you want to be here, but you're injury prone. We want to count on you, but, you know, the best ability is availability. Let's meet somewhere in the middle. If you want 25, we're willing to offer 22, 23, maybe take a little bit off. Not saying that he deserves that, but that could be some negotiating uh, advantages for the Pacers. Absolutely. I could see the Pacers 100% doing that, and I could see Warren being receptive to that because he has a defined role on this team. And he wants to be here. The Pacers want him to be here. I just feel like this is a huge opportunity for him to cash in that I don't think he's going to nickel and dime it by about $2 million or so. If he's hurt and he already missed essentially all of last season and he's missing decent time this year, you know, we're, we're just imagining that. We have no idea. Um, then, yeah, you know, he very well might provide a little bit of a discount. And I think that he would go for the discount because the future of the grass is not always greener. I mean, yeah. I, I think that this could be a really good situation for TJ Warren. And they, they've thrown his name around countless times as someone who is so vital to this team. They want to build around that. I don't think that he's going to be, uh, you know, um, hmm, uh, rubbed wrong by maybe a five to 10% discount. Yeah. No, I don't think so either. I mean, he's a guy that wants to find a home. He wants someone to love him and keep him. And I think he really likes Indiana. Phoenix, I don't think they did him a good I didn't I don't think they did him well in Phoenix with how everything went. They did give him an extension. He took it. It wasn't super expensive. I think he's on the last year of that four-year extension they gave him. So he's a good player. He's just got to stay healthy. That's why Phoenix eventually moved on from him. I'm sure Phoenix fans are kind of smiling right now, saying, Hey, this is why we got rid of this guy in the first place. But we saw what he could do in the bubble. I think that was, you know, clearly the ceiling for what TJ Warren can become. But at the same time, if he can become 80% of that, 75% of that with this roster, he's a really important player to this team. So that's where I'm at on that, Fachi. Let's get into the meat of our podcast today. We're going to be predicting or sharing our Eastern Conference standings predictions as well as ranking all Pacer players 1 through 20. I, I think at the time when we had planned on doing this, there was only 19, but Nate Hinton was just signed to an Exhibit 10 contract with the Pacers about an hour or so before we started recording. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to give our East predictions. And then after that, we will do our player rankings. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, we're going to unveil our East standings predictions. Fachi, we're going to start from 15, work our way to number one. At 15, who do you got? At 15, I have the Orlando Magic. Look, there's no way around it. This is the definition of a full-on rebuild. Really like their young core. They have a lot of really enticing young pieces. But this is the furthest thing from uh, a team that's ready to win now. I see them as a max 20 to 21 wins. And I know uh, I know one of our recent guests, uh, I don't know if it was Matt Moore, maybe I guess before that, had them at 13 wins. That was very like, whoa, that's going to be a long year for Magic fans. Yeah, I had the Orlando Magic at 15 as well. I just think that they've got good young players, but they're not a team, in my opinion, built to win any games right now. But I don't think the Magic want to win games. I think they want to rebuild this thing through the lottery. They've already got a guy that I think could be really good in Jalen Suggs. They've got Jonathan Isaac. If he can stay healthy, they traded for Wendell Carter Jr. I mean, they've got pieces here, Fachi, that I'm I'm intrigued by. I think they also got – who did they pick with their second pick? Was it Wagner? Yes. No, Um, yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah, Franz Wagner. So they've got a – They've got a good young core, but they might surprise a few teams every once in a while throughout the season, but I don't anticipate them winning very many games. So I've got them at 15 and well. For me at 14, I'm going with the Detroit Pistons. I just don't think that this team is very good outside of the superstar talent that could be there in Cade Cunningham. uh, Jeremy Grant is a guy that I like, but I don't think if he's your second best player, your team's going to do very much. No, look, we both like Jeremy Grant. And it's funny because in my notes, I said, if Cade is who we thought he is, then that should get them out of last place. And it's just like, that's, I mean, that's what we're really talking about. The number one pick can rescue you from last place in the East, only above the Orlando Magic. The East is very competitive this year. A team like the Pistons, I cannot see them any higher than 14th in the East. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could see them maybe 13th. I could. Possibly. It just depends on what the other teams do and how bad they try to lose if they realize that they're not going to make the playoffs. I mean, we saw Toronto completely tank the last part of the season last year. So that is something to keep in the back of my mind. But moving on, 13th overall in the Eastern Conference. Fachi, who you got? I got the Cleveland Cavaliers. No one quite knows exactly what they're doing. They are stockpiling bigs just left and right. Actually have some good talent on that team. 
but it's just some weird fits. They have so much to figure out. I just feel like the Cavs are a team that I just don't know when they're going to be good again. I think they're that team that's lining up to make a big trade sometime yeah. soon. We heard them today, kind of like a dark horse in the Ben Simmons sweepstakes. But for, for Cleveland, it, I could not rank them any higher than 13. So if they got Ben Simmons, how much does that impact where you think they fall? Really not that much uh, for this year. I think that coming into uh, the following year, it really depends what they give up. You imagine Colin Sexton's in the deal uh, to make salaries work. I, I don't. I really don't think anyone wants Kevin Love at this point for for the money that he's making. Yeah. But you know, it, it's just I think for the the following year, having Simmons on that roster with Darius Garland and, and Mobley and, and a few others, I think could be pretty enticing. Yeah, no, I think that they could make a push for the play-in game if they got him before the season starts because that still gives them plenty of time to gel and, you know, get better overall. I think they've got a solid young core there right now. Even if they traded Colin Sexton, I still like the young core there. But at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm really like I could see them maybe pushing for the 10th seed, but that's not saying much uh, in my opinion. Not that I'm discrediting Ben Simmons. I just feel like there's teams that will have a little bit more depth than them and a little bit more experience. So let's move on to number 12. So far, me and you are the same. Magic Pistons, Cavaliers for the bottom three in the East. Who do you have at 12? So maybe this is where things get a little bit different. I have the Toronto Raptors. Nope, um, it's the same. Okay. Now, the Raptors are a team I wanted to be higher on, but as I made my rankings, I started from one and, and down – the Raptors just kept falling and falling. I kept swapping them out. They were going lower and lower. They're in a weird spot because it's like they're not really rebuilding. They have good players like, you know, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, um, Gary Trent Jr. There's, there's some some talent on there. John Birch. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's just like they're half competing, half rebuilding. I'm wondering if that's a team that makes a big move at the deadline. Maybe they're sellers. Yeah, that's what I think was interesting when we talked with Matt Moore in our Eastern Conference preview. He really hinted at the fact that Toronto, nobody knows what they're doing. They're not really good enough to win a title. So do they want to compete for a playoff spot or do they want to kind of rebuild? I could see them doing more of the latter. I might have been a little bit too early on predicting this to happen because I think after they had won the title and Kawhi left, I said they won't make the playoffs the next year. Well, they did. And I had a lot of Raptors fans coming at me on Twitter. But I think now, if you look at it, without Kyle Lowry, without Danny Green, without Kawhi Leonard, this is a team that clearly is showing, especially without Marcus Hall and Serge Ibaka from that championship team, they've lost a lot of veterans. They're kind of in a weird situation, I would say, roster-wise. Like you said, they've got good, talented players, but does the core have enough to be this good? So, I put him at 12. It was really close for me between them and who I have at 11. Well, hey, as you mentioned, 11, who do you have at uh, the 11 spot? Well, I've got someone in your backyard, the Washington Wizards. Hey, so do I. I mean, it's just it feels like they're a team that they lost Russ. I feel like they, they got enough players to be more of a balanced team. But Russ, you know, whether you like him or not, he brings something to the court each night that just those collective parts do not. And I just feel like at this point they were a play. They were, you know, they were a playoff team. They got sacrificed in the first round after, uh, you know, after taking us out and claiming that eighth seed. Uh, it got ugly for them. But anyway, you add Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, you know, KCP, Aaron Holiday. It's not bad. No, but I don't think it's enough for the playoffs. Well, well, here's what I'll say: like if you look at the team, the ten teams we have above them, 
those 10 teams I think are significantly better I or, or just like just a little bit better, probably in that 10 to nine range. They're probably uh, a, a good notch or two above what Washington is overall. So I don't necessarily think it's a knock on Washington to knock them down three spots. I know Washington fans might not want to hear it. It's not even a wrestling because I think they got good return for what Westbrook's yeah. contract was. Now they have more people that they can trade to try to bolster the roster. But at the end of the day, while they have a lot of really like C to B level players, I, I just feel like the rest of the Eastern Conference is too talented. So that's oh where God. I'm at oh, yeah. as well. So now we're going to get into the interesting part. Who do you have at number 10? All right. Now, you, so far we have had the same teams. And, guys, I promise you, Alex and I have not shared our list. No, so, not at all. I'm, I'm, I'm up for a surprise here. I think I've got some surprises later, but not right now. I mean, I could tell you the, the meat of the East, like that middle pack, it is very interchangeable. So <laughs> I know there's going to be some changes. But next I have the Charlotte Hornets. Now, the Hornets, they look improved. They, add, they added Kelly Oubre. I just feel like you're going to get LaMelo Ball in his second year, also being healthy at the wrist injury. Gordon Hayward, you, you hope for a full season. They're a good team on paper. But it's going to come down to can they stay healthy and, you know, can they take that next step forward? Like the P.J. Washingtons, you need them to, to continue to get better. Terry Rozier, was that a fluke last year? He was really good. Can he do it again? I mean, there, there's a lot of questions there. I feel like they're still right in that play-on game. And you would want them to be better. just shows how talented the East is. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat once again, Fachi. Charlotte, for me, at, at number 10, I, I feel like this is a team that could be better. Mm -hmm. But I just don't trust it enough. I don't like their center position yep. depth. I feel like Kai Jones is a project. So really relying a lot on Plumley, which I think Plumley's fine. But as a starting center, I don't think he's – there's a reason that Portland and Denver let him go. Let's just put it that way. He has flaws to his game while he's still good. I, I don't think he's much of an improvement over Cody Zeller. But I think that getting Kelly Oubre is a nice pickup. I think that James Booknight could be – um, he's either going to be a really great pickup for him or he's going to be a Malik Monk for him again. And that's where I kind of get worried about Booknight a little bit because I feel like he has, ooh, that sexy, uh, you know, appeal to him, that sex appeal to him based on people talking about him going six overall in the draft this year. People didn't think he'd make it out of the top seven. Oh, he won't go past Golden State. Well, he made it all the way to 11. So I'm just like looking at this team. Hayward's got to stay healthy. LaMelo's got to take another step. Washington and Bridges have to take another step. This team feels like a team that could be destined to make a trade in the middle of the season to improve the roster. They extended James Borrego, and I don't feel like he's proven enough yet to get the extension. But with that being said, they were almost the four seed last year before Hayward got hurt. So there's a good case you can make for why they should maybe be given a little bit more credit than we we're giving them. Oh, yeah. Any injuries to any other teams? And if the Charlotte Hornets can just stay healthy and stay the course of their young players getting a little bit better, they could be one of the biggest surprise teams in the East, maybe even the league. Who knows? But for right now, you and I both have them as that last playing game. So now maybe here's where things they might switch up. Here's a team that uh, I could say a lot of people could be like, how do you have them at nine? But it's the New York Knicks right now. The Knicks <laughs> – they, they added Fournier, you added Kemba. You brought back basically the same team that got you the fourth seed, but I'm still not sold. I'm wondering, I feel like their playoff performance, it made me feel like, hey, you know what? Was that just a team that got hot at the right time towards the back end of the season? 
I still need to see more because they rewarded all those players, but can they continue it? Can Nerlens Noel be as good as he was last year? I mean, can Derrick Rose be as good as he was last year? Can Kemba stay healthy? There's a lot of questions. So for the Knicks, they got better, but yet I dropped them from four to nine, and I could take a lot of heat from that. Well, I'm going to take the same heat because I had the Knicks at nine too. <laughs> I thought this was going to be where we were different. I thought you might have the Knicks higher being a New York guy yourself, but I, I just I don't know what it is about this Knicks team. I'm not in love with it. Not sold. I, I think what they did last year, they overachieved. I agree. We talked about it on our last podcast, going from being the hunter to being the hunted. I think teams probably slept on the Knicks a little bit last year. They thought, oh, okay, it's just the Knicks. I mean, I did that several times watching the Pacers play the Knicks last year. Me too. And some of those games were close, and I'm like, why are we losing to the Knicks? So the Knicks are a really good defensive-minded team, but how much of a defensive letdown or how much do they regress defensively with Evan Fournier and Kimball Walker in their backcourt now? Because that was the big thing. Kimball Walker was terrible in Boston, and so was Evan Fournier on the defensive side of the ball. The, the Brooklyn Nets completely attacked Fournier every single time to get him in a pick and roll. Now, look, in the regular season, it might not be as impactful as it is in the postseason, but I feel like they overpaid for Fournier. They got Kimba out an incredibly great deal for what he's worth at this point in his career. But overall, I think that there's just a little bit more upside with some of the teams above the Knicks based on roster. The only thing that I could really say would make this Knicks team maybe jump is if R.J. Barrett takes a leap. Absolutely, R.J. Barrett has to take a leap in year three in order for the Knicks to, to maintain that playoff spot because he struggled mightily in the playoffs. I mean, Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett looked just like two guys that hadn't been there, and mm. it, it showed. And I think that R.J. Barrett, he has a very high ceiling. I think that he could be a really good player, um, but the Knicks have struggled developing players for what feels like decades, he feels like the player that the Knicks are going to be able to develop just because he is that talented. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to number eight in the Eastern Conference. Fachi, who do you got? This is a team that I, I struggled to put them at eight, but you know what? It seemed more realistic. I'm going with the Chicago Bulls. Back in the playoffs, I wanted to pick them higher, but I still I needed to see something first. They added a lot of big names. Your DeMar DeRozan's, your, uh, you know, Vucevic last year, Lonzo Ball, I'm, Derek Jones Jr. I mean, they're you know not a huge name, but a good, solid player. I mean, they, they added so many different pieces that I need to see them mesh together because it could either be really good or the Nick, the Bulls could be just a, a letdown again. But I, I firmly believe six to eight, those spots in the East, maybe even could even be six to ten could be super interchangeable. For right now, I have the Bulls at eight. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't have them a little bit higher with them. I did initially. With, with them signing Alizé Johnson. Mm. I'm surprised you didn't Boy. put him up because he could be their Thad replacement and on a cheaper deal. But with that being said, believe it or not, Fachi, we are perfect. I've got the wow. Bulls at eight as well. I thought you had the Bulls higher, so I was I'm higher on them. I am, but yeah. I wanted to be realistic here and say I got to see it first. Well, here's what I'll say. If you've got the Bulls and Knicks playing for the final spot in the Eastern Conference in that playing game, that is going to be great for ratings on TV. Two big markets like that, two teams that were nostalgically playing against each other all the time in the 90s, that would be great for TV to get those rivalries built back up. But, yeah, I just feel like this Bulls team – while I really like what they've done in the offseason, like 
their potential to me, they could even crack the top four. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it wouldn't shock me if they wouldn't. got hot. But I'm a little bit worried about their defense. I'm not, like, overly concerned about it. But I think with the teams that I have above them, I just feel like the rosters are a little bit more balanced on those teams. And the the biggest thing I would say with Chicago is they just have so many new pieces. I agree. And, so, and sometimes that can be a problem. Sometimes it can't be, and you can work through it. But that is where I am a little bit concerned with the Bulls is just adding so much to the table with Zach Levine and uh, Vucevic. They got – Patrick Williams, but they also have got DeRozan and Lamel, uh, and Lonzo Ball, excuse me. So adding those two guys, I think, will make it a little bit more difficult to get that chemistry right away. Yeah, I mean, make no mistake about it. I see them as at least in that playoff picture of, you know, if they're not the eighth seed, they're in the play-in. They, they've definitely gotten better. If you want to go just from a name standpoint, the Bulls had quite the offseason. Just like you said, they could be anywhere from potentially they overachieve four, could be five, six. I mean, they're gonna be they're gonna be in that picture, but eight is where I felt like saying, okay, they can at least grab the eighth seed. So that takes us next to the seventh seed. Well, Alex, man, I struggled, I struggled placing this team hard, but it's been a weird offseason for them. I'm going with the Boston Celtics. Oh my gosh, we're, we're perfect again. Wow. Well, the Celtics at seven, it felt wrong just because they're the Boston Celtics. Like, they yeah. should be higher, but I'm not sold on them. I mean, Dennis Schroeder, Enos Kanter, I mean, it, just Josh Richardson, it was Al like Horford. A, yeah, Al Horford, old man Horford. It just felt like it was like a, these are these are all right pieces, you know, like not bad by any means. But, you know, Brad Stevens, no longer coach. I mean, this is a guy that was heralded for years as he could be the, one of the next great head coaches. Then you bring in Ime Uduka. I, I feel like at this point, could be good. Maybe it takes us some time. I don't know. Does does he mesh well with everyone? Like, it, it, we got to see. I mean, we talked about it last episode of the previous that they really took care of their own players. They paid everybody. Well, now this is this is pretty much what Boston's looking at. They think that they're getting a star Next year, I wouldn't hold my breath, but uh, at this point, the Celtics at seventh, that's, that's where I have them. Yeah, this is a tough one. I i really debated where I should put the Celtics, and maybe I thought, am I overvaluing the team that I like the most? And I thought, maybe I am a little bit. But at the end of the day, I, I've said it since the offseason started, even when we had Scott Agnes on. He wasn't high on the Celtics offseason. I wasn't very high on it either. You might have internal growth from Tatum and, and Brown, but – at the same time, I just – I wonder how everything is going to work together with this team. So they could easily be, to me, a top four team once again. Like, I really think that everything's interchangeable. Like, nothing yep. would surprise me from probably four to nine. I don't think Charlotte really deserves to be in that conversation. Right now they they need to prove more to me. But that's where I'm at with the Celtics. So let's see if we're any different here at number six. Fachi, who do you got? Well, number six, I went through a similar struggle to you. I did. I thought to myself, am I being biased? I don't know. But I went with the Indiana Pacers there. Okay. And number six, if they can stay healthy, you're, you're, you're talking about a team that they're starting five. And when I say if we can stay healthy, when I took down my notes, TJ Warren, was uh, he was a bit healthier. Yeah. But you know what? Here we are. And the addition of Rick Carlisle, a guy who's known to improve teams in year one, the addition of Carlisle compared to where we were last year with Bjorkman is worth numerous wins. And I'm not talking two. I'm talking about you know, a handful of wins. The Pacers team just could not close in many games last year. And then you're bringing in Karis LeVert, who was coming off of 
a career year when he was with the Pacers off of beating cancer. I mean, give the guy uh, just a, an off season to be able to be, you know, with the seat, with the team, be able to attack it from day one. If TJ Warren can be healthy from day one or even close to it. I think that this is a team that has guys that can get better, has guys coming off career years. So at six, Hey, this was a year ago. We'd be thinking, why can't we be in that four or five spot? I'm thinking six right now, and I think it could be very interchangeable. I do think six to eight is going to be separated by, like, two wins. But for right now, I have the Pacers as the sixth seed. Well, Fachi, we finally have our first disagreement. Oh, all right. At six, I've got the Philadelphia 76ers. And here's why I'm saying this. I get it. Joel Embiid is arguably the best player in the Eastern Conference when fully healthy. Last season, Embiid missed 21 games. That's 25% of the season. With that being said, the Sixers were 10-11 and 11 without Embiid, but they still had Ben Simmons. Without Ben Simmons, they were 7-7. Seven and seven. So they are a 500 team for the most part without one of the other ones playing. If they trade Ben Simmons, what they get back is going to determine how I feel about this team because, look, when, when Simmons was playing as the solo guy without Embiid, they went 10 and 11. Now, they could have both been out some of those games, so I'm not sure on that. I just looked it up on Stat News, and that's what was said. But I feel like without Embiid and Simmons kind of running the show, sort of, so to say, they were still a really good regular season team. Not like great like they were when he was healthy because they were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference last year. I'm just saying when you trade a guy that's arguably your number two best player in the regular season, everybody's overblowing this non-shot layup that he didn't take against the Hawks, that they forget what he did in the regular season. Ben Simmons was fantastic in the regular season for the Philadelphia 76ers. Joel Embiid is a guy that notoriously gets hurt. I like Joel Embiid. I think he's a really fun player. I think he could be a good villain for the NBA because a lot of, you know, he's always talking trash and stuff like that, but in that playoff series, he was fantastic. I'm not saying that he'd be a they'd be a bad playoff team, but with with the amount of injuries that I think could happen to him with trading Ben Simmons, to me, I just feel like ah, this team to me and Andre Drummond as the backup. I just I don't love everything about this team. I know that Tyrese Max, you could have a breakout year, so that's where something could like help out. You you still have um, the kid they drafted from Washington a few years ago. I'm I'm forgetting his name Matisse now. Thibel. Yes, Thibel. So this is a this is a team to me that I think they're going to regress quite a bit, and that's why I have them at six. Hey, they can only go one direction from last year, and that's down. <laughs> yeah, uh, clearly <laughs> finishing as the one seed. Yep. So moving over. So now that we've had our first disagreement, moving over to number five, I have the Atlanta Hawks. Okay. I have them, in, and you know, you could say maybe it's recency bias. I don't know, but you know what? Coming off of an Eastern Conference run, I just feel like Trey Young became like a household name, whatever you want to put it. He made people into believers because this man put on a show. It didn't matter which, which, you know, arena he went into, he put on a show and he, he had a lot of big shots. And I think Atlanta is the one team that almost has too many good young pieces that they can continue to get better. John Collins could take a next step. Cam Reddish could take a next, a next step. DeAndre Hunter was the guy who was playing really good, who was hurt 
at the end of the year. I think he can come back, be healthy, and take a next step. So they have a lot of great stuff going on at Jalen Johnson. I mean, who knows what he brings to the table this year, but I think that he's he looked like one of the better summer league players. So I'm I'm excited to see what Atlanta has. This is this finally feels like the year where you have to pencil them in at a respectable playoff seat. And that's something that they had not achieved until the playoffs were done. Yeah, so Lloyd Pierce was the coach of that team before he was fired, and Nate McMillan was named the interim head coach. When McMillan took over, this team was unbelievable and made it to the East Finals, like you said. I think with the Atlanta Hawks, looking at this team, you said they almost have too many young guys. I think that's going to work to their advantage because what they could do with those young guys is they could package them to go out and get a superstar to add to this team. I really like this team. I have them higher than you do at five. For me at five, I've got the Indiana Pacers. This is where I have them slotted into. And how I looked at it versus the Pacers, 76ers, and Celtics, I think they're all going to be separated by one game. So you're looking at maybe 48 wins for the Pacers, 47 for the 76ers, and 46 for the Celtics. That's how I could see this shaking out. I just feel like with Rick Carlisle at the helm with this roster doing what they did under McMillan with Jeremy Lamb as the starting shooting guard, I I feel like this team, the only way they can get is up. Like you said, with the Pacers or with the the 76ers, they can only go down. To me, I would be incredibly shocked if the Pacers finished less than, you know, a top six seed, maybe seven. But I really feel like when I look at this Pacers team, they've got a great core that could really benefit from Carlisle. So that's where I'm at with it. I think the Pacers are clearly a top team in the playoffs. They're not going to be a playing team this year. Carlisle does terrific being the first-time head coach. I think besides the Mavericks, when they were really good when he took over that year, uh, his first year there, every other time he had taken over a team with Detroit and Indiana, those teams significantly improved. I believe in Carlisle. I've got the Pacers at five. Hey, I love it. I love it. I would love to see the Pacers back in that five seed. Um, it was just kind of what we were known for for a few years, except for when we got home court when it didn't matter um, yeah. during COVID. Uh, that was very unfortunate. But at number four, I have the Philadelphia 76ers, a team okay. that uh, I agree with you in terms of I'm lower than them than most, but they have drama going on. The Ben Simmons drama. I mean, Alex, did you see the picture of him getting a haircut Wearing, uh, you know, one of those barber bibs or whatever, where it's yeah. got every team on there. Of course, he takes a picture because that's him saying, like, it could be any team. Where am I going? It's like, oh, my God, <laughs> please. You know, just get your hair cut and move on. But here we are. You know, the 76ers, like I mentioned, you can only fall down from the one seed. And I think at four, it's the uncertainty. I mean, if they pull off a trade, I find it hard to believe that it doesn't shake up the team a bit. Ben Simmons, I, I believe, was runner-up for defensive player of the year last year. I mean, he is one of the better. He, he's a guy that could defend multiple positions. We're not talking about two positions. He could defend, you know, I, I don't want to say one through five, but he, he can defend a lot. And I just think that you imagine that talent like that, if you're going to deal him, you better be getting a good return. And we don't know what that return is going to be. It could be a return that kind of jeopardizes this next season for Philly, but sets them up good for the future. Not sure. So at that point, I put him at four. Yeah, I mean, if they held out and got the Dame Lillard package like they want, then yeah, I think they're a top three team, possibly top two. But with how things are going right now, it doesn't feel like that's going to happen. So I feel like this team is the biggest question mark team. What are they going to be? I just didn't want to take the risk with possibly no Simmons and possibly trading 
um, or with uh, Embiid injured, excuse me, his injury history, and then trading Simmons possibly. There's just a lot of question marks with this team. So four probably feels more safe. I should say six felt a little bit risque, but uh, I just felt like I had to go with that. So for me at number four, I've got the Miami Heat. This is a a team that got better. This is a team that improved. They've got Eric Spolcher. They've got Kyle Lowry. They re-signed Duncan Robinson. We've talked about this team for a long time now. They got P.J. Tucker as well. I think they're going to be a better playoff team than possibly a regular season team. That's why I didn't have them in the top three. I could see them finishing top three. Don't get me wrong. But I could also see them finishing around the sixth seed. I could see 76ers, Celtics, Pacers all competing for them in terms of overall record, especially if one of them gets hurt or if there's some drama there, because we always know there's drama. But if Victor Oladipo can come back healthy for the playoffs, I like this team better in the playoffs. We'll see how Tyler Hero bounces back for his junior season of the NBA. Had a really good breakout year in the bubble, but then had a sophomore slump season last year. So this is a good team. I don't think it's necessarily as great as people think. And the one thing that I'm really concerned about with this team is health. So they're older, they're experienced, that's good, but that can also be negative in terms of what if one of them suffers an injury, it could take them longer to heal. And that is my concern with a guy like Tucker and or Kyle Lowry. No, they definitely have some older pieces uh, in play over there that they might have to give some rest to. Um, So I I definitely like your point where they could be a better playoff team. I do think that they are gearing up to be, you know, a, a potential contender and that's why I have them at three. I have them at three because I did like their offseason. The Miami Heat do have me a bit shook. I am waking up a little bit in the middle of the night, a little bit of a, you know, kind of like a moist forehead. Like I got to wipe it a little bit. Of, whew, the Heat are coming. I, I'm, I'm a little bit scared, but you know what? This is a team that I don't think that the Pacers are going to have to. I mean, I guess actually the way I broke it down, the Pacers would meet them in the first round. Yeah, so did I, matchup. which is so Oh, funny. man. Well, you know what? I think I just got a little bit more shook, and I did not need that. But the Miami Heat, they're coming. I have them at three. I think last year was a down year for them. I know they dealt with COVID in the beginning. Tyler Hero slumping. You know, maybe he finds himself even traded at this point. Who knows? Because the Heat are going for it all. That's why I have them that three spot. Yeah, so me for three, I think you know who it is because there's only one team that I really haven't uh, mentioned that's not in the top two. And that's the Atlanta Hawks. Fachi, I'm putting the Hawks at three in the Eastern Conference. I know it sounds like a bit of a hot take, but their best player's name is Trey. I felt like Trey equals three. Let's put it there. This young fella, Trey Young, is a cold-blooded killer. I watched what he did in the postseason. He really is. I I saw what this Atlanta Hawks team did. They're going to be the hunted, but I think they're going to embrace that challenge. I think that – Every fan that hated Nate McMillan, even I was not a fan of the Nate McMillan hiring for the Pacers. What Nate McMillan has done with that team, the stuff he said he's learned from being in Indiana, bringing on his son and Nick Van Exel. I I keep bringing that up because I think it's awesome. I really like this Atlanta Hawks team. I like the potential that they have. They've got Sharif Cooper as like their third string point guard. They've got Jalen Johnson. They've got all these young players that are only going to get better. They've got a lot of experience now in the playoffs. I think they're going to be hungry, ready to prove it wasn't a fluke. Some people might think they're going to regress like you probably did a little bit, but I think that they're going to embrace this challenge and they're going to be the third best team in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I mean, I think that is definitely their ceiling. But, you know, like you mentioned, 
I mean, they really turned a lot of people into believers. I was a known Trey Young hater. Even coming in the draft, I hated him hard, but he turned me into a believer in the playoffs. I was not expecting the show that he put on. And I, I even, it was very admirable that he even played hurt against the Bucs. And I, I felt that that's what a leader does in terms of, hey, you give it your all no matter what. And he really made that series interesting against Milwaukee after, you know, having success in rounds one and two. So, you know, I, I'm definitely impressed. I expect them to be, you know, from day one, a, a consistent team next year rather than the up and down that we saw. But for number two on my list, I have the defending champs, the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, okay. sure, you, you could easily say, hey, I mean, they're the champs. I mean, what, what's changed? Why wouldn't they be number one? But you know what? They weren't number one last year. I, I felt like at this point, yeah, you lost P.J. Tucker. He was obviously instrumental on that team. But for the most part, you lost Bryn Forbes. Whatever. You lost Forbes. It's not a big deal. But I just felt like the team, only team above them, they have a lot of firepower. So the Bucks at the two seed, it's still an improvement from last year. Yeah, so we're flip-flop on this. I have the Nets two, Bucks one. It doesn't really matter. I think they're really close in terms of what their overall record's going to be. It'll matter for the uh, Easter Conference Finals if these are the last two teams standing. But I will say this. I like Milwaukee to really – the same reason I like the Hawks. I think Milwaukee is going to have a prove-it year. While the Nets are really exciting, James Harden is going to want to have a redemption year. Kevin Durant making the case for the best player in the universe right now. I think Giannis might have something to say about that, but we'll get to that another day. I just, the wild card for me is Kyrie Irving. What is he going to be? I could see Drew Holiday maybe struggling a little bit to start the season off after playing so many minutes in the NBA Finals and then going straight over to Team USA, having to bail them out basically with their situation of point guard. He could be a little bit fatigued when the season starts, but adding George Hill is big for me. Bringing back Bobby Portis, they're going to have DiVincenzo healthy. I like Connaughton. I really think that this team is just built for the regular season, where I think the Nets might be more of a playoff team that scares me more than the regular season. But still, both teams just scare me when I see them on paper. Uh, I, I can't see any team in the Eastern Conference battling against these two and taking them out. Um, so that's where I have it. I I have it. Bucks one, Nets two. You have Nets one, Bucks two. That I do. I just the Nets. I mean, I, I think Harden, KD, and Kyrie being healthy could be even enough. But then you also think of all the pieces. I know there's a lot of older guys, but I mean Blake Griffin being able to have such a reduced role and also you know being with the Nets from the start. You know, Lamarcus Aldridge. We'll see what his health status is. But I mean, these are guys that are just going to be you know contributors to not even expected to play big roles. And it's just they, they have a lot of talent there. So I have the Nets firmly in my once in my one seat. Yeah, sure. If there's an injury, you know, that could obviously change. But I feel confident with Nets, Bucks, one and two. But at the same point, I expect it to be a tight battle. Yeah. So right now, Fachi, almost if we were to look at our standings, almost all of our playoffs would be the same, except for the one and the two. So you got Bucks, Bulls, prediction-wise, and Nets, Celtics, Hawks, Sixers, Pacers, Heat. I have Nets, Bulls, Bucks, Celtics, Heat, Pacers, uh, Sixers, Heat, or Sixers, Hawks. So I think it could be really interesting there. So just to recap real quick, your top 15 was the Nets 1, Milwaukee 2, Miami 3, Philadelphia 4, Atlanta 5, 
Indiana 6, Boston 7, Chicago 8, New York 9, Charlotte 10. The teams on the outside looking in are Washington at 11, Toronto at 12, Cleveland at 13, Detroit at 14, and Orlando at 15. Yep. And then, and then for me, I've got one Milwaukee, two Brooklyn, three Atlanta, four Miami, five Indiana, six Philadelphia, seven Boston, eight Chicago, nine New York, 10 Charlotte, and then I am in alignment with Fachi on the five teams missing it in that specific order. Washington at 11, Toronto at 12, Cleveland at 13, Detroit at 14, and Orlando at 15. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to rank the Pacers players 1 through 20 based on their training camp roster. We'll be right back after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, Fachi, well, let's jump right into it. We've got 20 players to rank on the Pacers. Let's work our way to the number one guy. At number 20, who you got? I got uh, Terry Taylor over here. I, no offense to Terry, but I just feel like he, he's going to be a long shot. I mean, I know you can play the two and three, but we're pretty deep over there. And I just think at this point, hey, there's got to be someone who finishes last on the list. Yeah, Terry Taylor is an Exhibit 10 guy. Didn't play in the first game, I believe, of Summer League. It was kind of weird. So, yeah, he's the guy that I have at 22. And then at 19, I have the recently signed Indiana Pacer. For, the, uh, for an Exhibit 10 contract, which is in other terms for a, uh, a training camp contract. That's Nate Hinton. He played with the Mavericks last year, played in Houston. So he's got a little ex- NBA experience, and Terry Taylor does not. So that's why I'm going to give Nate Hinton the nod over him at 19. And I'm going to give Nate Hinton that 19 spot as well. NBA experience outweighs, you know, summer league experience any day. So I just feel like, hey, while, you know, he's still an odd man out, I, I think that uh, – it's enough to finish above Terry Taylor. Moving over to my next pick, a guy, a friend of the show, Kiefer Sykes. Um, look, I'd like to root for him as much as I can, but at six foot, he's a bit undersized, turns 28 later this year. Seems more like a G League guy. would like to say, see him stick around in the United States. Shot the ball real well from the field, especially from three, over 43%. But uh, this is just, man, it's, it's going to be tough for him. Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way. It's hard to give guys that are on training camp, uh, you know, on the ro- training camp roster anything higher than the bottom three picks just because we don't know if Kiefer Sykes is going to make the roster or not. So right now I have him at 18 as well. He's the best of the Exhibit 10 guys out of the three. Real good chance to be on the Mad Ants, but who knows? So who do you got at 17? Dwayne Washington Jr., another friend of the show, a very promising shooter, a bit taller at 6'3". Um, he's younger than Kiefer Sykes. Shot 48% for three in summer league. Not much of a playmaker or really anything else outside of shooting, though. That's why it worries me a bit. So that's why I had him at spot 17. Yeah, this one was tough for me because I debated between him and our other two-way guy, Dejan Giroux. But I went with Giroux just because Dwayne Washington Jr., I feel like the Pacers were quick to get him as soon as the draft was over. So I feel like he's somebody that they're really looking at. I feel like his game can get better. But shooting-wise is something that you always want to see in a guy, and he is a lights-out shooter. So that's why I have Dwayne Washington at 16 and Dejan Giroux at 17. 
Okay. Well, for just to play devil's advocate for uh, Dejan Giroux, that was a Miami Heat. But the second he became available, Pacers swooped in, snatched him up. He was an all-defensive selection at Houston. He can make plays. In summer league, averaged 11.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, nearly 6 assists. So I like the balance there. Shot the ball real well, 47%, 36% from three. I feel like he's a guy that can kind of do a little bit of everything. He's 6'5". He can play both guard spots. Um, and he averaged over about a steal and a half in summer league. So I feel like that's someone that uh, fits the defensive identity the Pacers are looking for. He can play the guard spot, and he's got decent height. So that's yeah. why I gave him the nod over Dwayne Washington. Yeah, I think it's a toss-up, really. I mean, yeah. they're both interesting. They're both totally different, too. So that's where it's just like, what do you think they value more, shooting or defense? And mm-hmm. maybe defense is right because based on the offseason, they did add a lot of guys that bring that defensive presence to the team. But let's move on. Now we're going to get into the top 15. The thing, the team really, you know, this is the team that will be suiting up almost every night. 13 guys will dress, I believe. Two guys won't. So, all right, let's start here, Fachi. At 15, who you got? It's funny because I actually just realized just now I left this man off the list. And I feel bad because he's dealt with way too much lately. That's Keelan Martin. Uh, <laughs> Keelan Martin, I mean, oh, the fact that botchy. I didn't have him on a list of 19 other guys just makes me feel like his spot is very much in limbo. He picked up his play at the end of the year. He really was, yeah. was scoring in double figures you know, quite quite often. But I just feel like they're waiting for something better. And when, they, if, when or if they find something better, Keelan Martin, unfortunately, will be waived. Yeah, so I think I should, like, preference this, and people are like, how are you guys ranking these guys? So I told Fachi, let's do overall talent and then look at potential because I think that's a big thing, too. So overall talent-wise and potential, it doesn't really affect anything we've talked about so far, but I think we should mention that we're really hitting on that going into our rankings. And at 15, I as, I as well had Keelan Martin at 15 only because his contract is not expensive, but – They've moved back his guarantee date two different times now. So it's clearly like, hey, we like you, but we don't love you to pick it. I love you enough to pick it up. He's been kind of a journeyman in the NBA. He's good enough to be in the NBA, but not good enough to be an everyday rotational player. So I think 15 is good for him, Fudge. Yeah, this is where things get a little bit tricky because uh, this, my next pick has quite a lot of potential, but I just don't think that we're going to see him this year. And that's where I'm going with Isaiah Jackson. I just think minutes are going to be very hard to come by. Yes, he has a guaranteed spot being a first-round pick. His job's safe, a ton of potential. But to be honest, this might be a guy that I can't even put a number on how many minutes he might play collectively on the season. Yeah, I had a hard time ranking the rookies. I feel like they're just like, yeah, there's a ton of potential, but we never know what they could really become. And if you're looking at overall talent, it's like, hey, this guy's probably better. But – this is where we're going to be a little bit different here, Fachi. I went with Jeremy Lamb at 14. Okay. The reason I went with Jeremy Lamb here at 14 is, one, I don't know if he even cracks the rotation. I think the T.J. Warren stuff could open up a door for him to crack the rotation a little bit more. But at the end of the day, I think he's on the decline of his NBA career. He's gotten injured a couple of different times in, out, uh, in his NBA career. He's had ankle injury problems. Torres, I think it was, did he break his AC or tear his ACL last yeah, time? Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so – this is just one of those things where I feel like he's injury plagued a little bit and there's not much potential for him to get better than what he already is. The only potential that he can really do to get better is get healthy. He's just not a good defender. So that's why I have him at 14, but I have Isaiah Jackson at 13. So who'd you have at 13? 
Uh, at 13, I had Jeremy Lamb. And okay. I, I even wrote in my notes, it feels like a crime to have him at 13th on the list, but will he even be a pacer for much longer? We really have no idea if there's one man least likely to finish the season with the Pacers. I say it's Jeremy Lamb. And I say that because I don't even know if Keelan Martin starts the season with the Pacers. So for Lamb, it just feels like odd man out. I'm sorry, but, you know, there just might not be a spot higher than 13th on the list. Yeah, I put Isaiah Jackson at 13 just because I feel like Martin Lamb and Jackson are probably the three guys that are first out of the rotation this season, assuming everyone's healthy, right? So I think that Isaiah Jackson, the potential is really there. We saw enough in Summer League. I know it's Summer League, but we saw enough in Summer League to realize, hey, this guy has potential. He's a good rebounder, good shot blocker. If he can develop a shot, he's got a good feel for the game. I think that there's more potential there. So I went higher on my potential here in my ranking instead of overall talent. But I felt like it was really interchangeable between him and Lamb. I just went ahead and went with a guy that I feel like is going to be a part of the long-term future of the Indiana Pacers. That's Isaiah Jackson at 13. Okay, number 12, Fachi, who you got? Number 12, man, I wish I could rank him higher. I really do, but I have Goga there. And I would would love to put him higher, but it feels like every opportunity that Goga has to seize – it just hasn't happened. And I, and I, to be honest, I think this is a make or break year for him. It's not the last year on his deal, but I just think that, you know, year one, say you want to call it a wash. Okay. Year two, well, you didn't quite blow us away. I mean, we need to find a way to get him more than nine minutes a night. And at that point, after once again missing Summer League, I know this was a different situation. I just don't know if Goga is going to pan out. I want him to, but I can't rank him higher than uh, number 12 on my list. Yeah, so this is where I put Edmund Sumner. And once again, this is kind of how I envision the rotation is how I kind of like let it affect how I was thinking in terms of ranking. Because I still think that Goga's potential is much higher than Edmund Sumner's. Mm -hmm. If Sumner can knock down that three-point shot that J. Michael said he's been working on, that is going to help open up his game, but how much? I mean, I I think that Edmund Sumner is a good player, but he's going to struggle for minutes in this rotation once again, where if Goga – could just get those minutes and thrive, he could become an everyday backup center. So that's why I think there's just so many guards on this team that it does impact what I could think of Sumner. Like Sumner was an everyday player last year, and while it was fine, I still feel like that might be part of the reason why we just have to get a little bit more talent on that second unit. So they they address that by drafting Duarte. So that's unfortunately why I knocked Sumner down to 12 for me, but I had Goga at number 11 for the same reasons you did. I just don't know how good he's going to become. He's just everything always seems to happen for the worst for him in terms of opportunities. And so I like Goga, but I just don't know what a ceiling is. Hey, I can't blame you one bit because the next guy on my list was Edmund Sumner. Okay. Sumner coming off a career year, but he also a contract year. And in that situation, I just think that that's a guy that maybe if the Pacers – need to go into the season and they're still looking to trade Jeremy Lamb and he's looking healthy. Sumner's a guy that I think they can attach to make the trade more appealing. Um, I don't see Sumner getting a new deal to return to the Pacers. I mean, his next deal, I think that he's going to try and maximize, get every single dollar he can. And I don't blame him one bit. So Sumner's the kind of guy that I don't think he's going to have the same role that he had last year, similar to what you said. So I just think that he showed more than what Goga showed last year, and that's why I had him one spot higher. All right, let's get into our top 10, Fachi. At number 10, who you got? 
I got Torrey Craig. I would love to have him higher, but I just don't know exactly what his role is. I mean, now that TJ Warren's out, maybe, or maybe he is out, maybe he isn't, maybe he goes a little bit higher. But when you sign a man as quick as you did, when the Pacers signed Torrey Craig, they ran to the bank, cashed a check, and handed him the money right then and there. This guy better be on the court. A known 3 and D guy where the Pacers struggled so much guarding wings that I want to see Torrey Craig on the court. That's why I had him at number 10. You crack me up. You're like, I wish I could put him higher for like four guys that we've already went through in our top 11. So. I'm struggling. I feel bad for him. I do. Yeah, There's a couple fine. guys. 10, I think it's fine for him. Sumner, I got a soft spot for Sumner. But we, we see the writing on the wall a little bit, at least in my opinion. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I mean, I think some fans might be optimistic that he comes back, and we'll see what happens with Sumner. But if I'm Edmund Sumner, I want to find a team where I can maybe get some more playing time than I'm probably going to get with this Pacers team. But yep. in addition to you, Fachi, I, too, had Torrey Craig at number 10. I do not wish that he was any higher than number 10. I feel like 10 is perfectly fine for him. Uh, he's a guy that may or may not crack the rotation, but the Warren injury, we talked about that. He could more than likely get into there. Does he take away minutes from Goga? I don't know, but... I think he's a talented enough player to get into the rotation. They clearly like him enough, and that's why I think he fits fine at 10. And then at number nine, Fachi, I've got the old veteran Justin Holiday. As do I. And I, I had that because I think you and I probably debated between the same two people here. But I think that Holiday is someone who he really struggled the second half of the year. I mean, he was the only guy who played in every single game. But I think at this point – He's, you know, like we mentioned, he is the oldest on the team. He was the oldest on the team for, I think, the last two seasons. Um, I just think that maybe he takes a little bit step back this year as there's other pieces that take a step up. And one of those pieces that I have one piece, uh, one spot above is O'Shea Brissett. O'Shea, someone, he has an opportunity to log some solid minutes as the backup for. I loved everything I saw out of him last year, especially when he even had to play the five, which you didn't hear him complain one bit about, and he really held it down. Now, do I want to see that again? No, I don't. But, you know, he's young enough that he can continue to get better. I loved how he was getting to the free throw line in summer league. So you have nine Justin Holiday and eight O'Shea Brissett, correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. So this is not where we were at in terms of who we debated for number nine and eight. Ah, okay. So, I, like I said, I looked at overall talent, but I also looked at potential. And here's the thing. At number eight, I don't think he's the eighth most talented player on this team. I think he might be higher in terms of talent because of what he brings in terms of importance. I went with TJ McConnell at number eight, and here's why. I don't see McConnell as a starter-level player. I think he's a solidified backup. I think that you can make the case that O'Shea Brissett and the guy we drafted this year, Chris Duarte, could become starters at some point in their career. We saw O'Shea do it last year. And we saw how well he played. Now, I think that the more and more he played, the more and more people got film on him. He may have regressed a little bit or might not have been as impactful. But this isn't a shot at TJ or TJ McConnell to me because I still like him a lot. But if he can improve that three-point shot, then maybe he is a little bit higher. But that's the only way I can see him really improving because ultimately his biggest downfall is his size, which isn't a, a big deal. But that is where I think he was attacked the most during the playoffs. And if he's not able to be a consistent threat from outside, then he is limited. We've talked about his limitations, even though he does bring the energy, he does full court press a lot of times, and he's going to be that JJ Barea for Rick Carlisle. I think Carlisle is going to absolutely love him. His impact on the team might be higher than eighth overall. 
in terms of rankings, but I, I just felt like potential for O'Shea and Duarte was higher than what McConnell is already overall talent-wise. I've said it before, and I'm still worried about it. Does McConnell have a next level? I, I felt like he No, put, I don't think he does. I think he put everything together last year, and that was as good as it's going to get. I mean, he was really good last year for what he's capable of. You know, guys have ceilings. I felt like T.J. McConnell really couldn't have played much better. He would have loved if he, you know, added a, a better three-point shot. But, hey, every guy has his limitations, and I think he was as good as he might get last year. So moving to number seven for me, I had Chris Duarte. I had Duarte fever, Alex. I I can't get him out of my head. I think that this guy is going to be good for the Pacers. (laughs) And it was my first bold selection of putting him up here because we don't know what his role is going to be. But I think that he could be a, a pretty special talent off the bench. If Summer League is any indication, if you can even go off of it 50%, he looked the part. An all defensive Pac-12 selection. All right, he's buying that defensive identity the Pacers are looking for. Two and a half blocks in summer league. One point eight steals per game in summer league. That's not even talking anything about what he brought to the table offensively. This guy can hit big shots when they matter. Does he need to be the guy next year for the Pacers to do that? No, but I think that he can grow into that, and the Pacers would be idiotic to not be able to carve out some type of role for Duarte to start the season. Let me guess. You wish you could put him higher. I wish I could. I do, <laughs> but I just can't. And you know what? When I'm thinking about it, I take back what I said about um, Tory Craig. I really don't wish I could put him higher. I yeah. want to say I want to say something nice about him, but you know what? Yeah. The tenth spot, it's 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 good enough. <laughs> yeah, it's in the rotation. Who cares? Yeah, but yeah. I'm with you. I've got Chris Duarte at seven, and then for me at number six, I kind of spoiled it already. I've got O'Shea Brissett at six, and this was my toughest okay. one. Because I was like, do I put O'Shea above Chris Duarte? Because Duarte is making more money. O'Shea is on a non-guaranteed contract still. But I think the only reason I can do it right now is if I look at overall talent, I think that O'Shea, having the experience from last year, we saw it enough in the NBA to say, hey, we know this guy can at least play in the NBA. We haven't got a chance to see from a rookie in Chris Duarte if he can play. So this is basically based off of, what he did in college, his his path to the NBA. I think that his path from coming across from the Dominican Republic over here to New York, living on his own for a while, playing in different high schools, not starting really until he was 14 years old. The, the incredible story of Chris Duarte really makes him more enticing. So that is why I have him at seven. But at six, I have O'Shea Brissett. And I'm assuming at six, you've got T.J. McConnell. That is true. I have T.J. McConnell at six. From a potential standpoint, yeah, you know, he does have less potential than a Chris Duarte or maybe even a Shaper set. You can make an argument. But this is a guy that led the NBA in assists and steals off the bench. That's nearly, true. nearly led the league in steals. I mean, he's the, he was the energizer bunny of the Pacers last year. He brought – he's like the heart and soul at times. I just think that one of the league's best backup point guards, he knows his role. It's it's carved out for him. He's going to bring the hustle night in, night out. So that's why I had him at the sixth spot. Okay, let's get into our top five. We're left with the starting five, Fachi. At number five, are you going to make people mad with this pick? Uh, I mean, yeah, there's probably some people all rub wrong with it, but he's the guy who's always overshadowed in the starting lineup. That's Miles Turner. Now, Turner, defensively, we know he is our anchor. We know that. I mean, one of the league's elite rim protectors took his game 
uh, up a notch last year, uh, but offensively, will he be put in the right position to succeed or will he just always have to be the guy that sacrifices? We don't know. So with that, you know, given that Turner is not, you know, not necessarily in his first year, second year, third year or anything of the sort, we've seen him for a while, you know, dating back to 2015. I just think that we're kind of more getting used to this is probably who he is. And when it comes to the starting lineup, he's, in my my opinion, probably the fifth option. Defensively, yes, he's better, you know, defender than other guys, but I, I'm putting him at five here. Yeah, I think this is a tough one because it is. I think that he could have more potential than maybe a guy like Malcolm Brogdon and what he could become. But I just don't think that's going to happen on this Pacers team based on the role that he plays. If, mm-hmm. if he was the solo center on another team and was utilized more, then maybe you could say, wow, what, you know, he's a lot better than he was in Indiana. But I think with Indiana, they kind of use him as a three and D type of guy. Hey, yeah. go block shots and go shoot threes. Like, they gave him a little bit more opportunity last year to put the ball in his hands and make more decisions, but he really was not a great decision maker prior to the previous seasons with McMillan and a little bit of Vogel. So I, I think that he's grown as a player significantly since he came into the league. A lot of praise for him. I know that I, th- I know, and we've talked about this several times, just the way that Larry Bird kind of built him up as a player really did impact how fans felt about him. I know I felt the same way specifically. I thought he was going to be the next guy, and I and I was frustrated because he never took that step to become that. But now I just feel like more and more he's getting underappreciated. I think that he's still a fan favorite because of his uh, longevity with the team. And he could be a midseason guy they trade, but it's just hard for me to put anybody above him that I feel like uh, they that the team values more than Miles. Yeah, I mean, his role is going to be completely dependent on, you know, how high he can rise in this list. And just like you mentioned, I mean, you and I said a similar thing. If if the Pacers don't utilize him in a way like that, it's hard to rank him above a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, who I have at number four, who's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. I mean, he's coming off of a career year. Can he take another step forward? I don't know. I mean, last year might have been potentially, you know, the best that you're going to see out of Brogdon from at least like a scoring standpoint. Will he lose some of the ball handling duties, play more off ball? I think so. But I think that he still impacts the game on both sides to the point where, you know, he's he's still on that four spot. But I think he's going to be asked to do a bit less. So that's why I have him at four. Yeah, I agree with you. I have Malcolm at four as well. Just because I don't, I feel like him and Turner were the two guys that were the most talked about in terms of trades. I still think Brogdon could be traded if they were to go after Ben Simmons. I think he makes a lot of sense for Philadelphia. But at the same time, I just, I think the Pacers value him a lot. I think he's really good. And I think sometimes that Pacer fans underappreciate what Malcolm Brogdon brings to the table, maybe because of the off court stuff that we've heard about or, or stuff that people speculate he's a locker room cancer or whatever you want to say, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of negative talk around Brogdon, but his on-court production has been really good. Not the perfect point guard. No, but he's a much better option than the Pacers have had in previous seasons. And number three, things might be getting a little crazy here, Alex, but I have DeMontis Sabonis or two time all-star in the three spot. It could raise a few eyebrows, but I expect to see Sabonis take a bit of a small step back this year with TJ Warren, you know, hopefully healthy. And now Levert in there for a full season who not just the Pacers are on, but the whole entire fan base is high. And I really think very highly of Karis Levert. I think that, you know, 
Sabonis needs to take a tiny bit less of a role. And I think while we're talking about staggering the bigs a bit, he played way too many minutes last year, way too many. Traveled far too much defensively last year. So I look forward to seeing him not have to do as much because I do think the Pacers have the options there to crank up the wins a bit while lowering his minutes a little bit. Yeah, so this is where I went with T.J. Warren. And I went with T.J. Warren at number three because one of his health concerns, I I feel like overall talent-wise, he plays a position that is more important than what Sabonis plays. But at the end of the day, I think with T.J. Warren, he's got to be able to stay healthy and prove that he can stay healthy. And we've seen Sabonis. He's a two-time All-Star. I think that does matter when you're ranking an overall player's talent because there's a lot of people that might say Sabonis is the best player on this team. We'll see how that shakes out when we unveil my entire rankings because we know yours uh, does not have him at number one. But at number three, I've got scoring Warren. I like TJ Warren a lot, but like I said, I just want to see more from him. I saw one really good season that was really elevated by his overall play in the bubble. But in the playoffs, I felt like he was not as dominant as I would have liked him to be. And same for Sabonis. The only time I've really got to see him in the playoffs is against Cleveland and against Boston when we lost those two those two series. So he wasn't there for Miami. I would have been intrigued to see how he played against the, the Heat and with Warren there healthy as well. But at the same time, I think that Warren maybe doesn't have that breakout bubble if uh, Sabonis is there during that part of the season. So that's where I have TJ Warren at number two. Fachi, who do you got? Number two, I have TJ Warren. Um, This is a guy that I think that, you know, I'm so tired of saying went healthy, but he can give you 20 a night. He could defend wings, which is something the Pacers needed so badly last year. I mean, it was getting ugly. We missed TJ Warren. We saw how bad things became, you know, without him. But can he take another step forward? That's the thing. I don't want to get too fixated on bubble Warren because we, we saw something that is unattainable. I mean, he averaged like 32 points per game in the bubble, at least before the playoffs, Um, but only played four games last year. So, you know, I don't really know exactly what to expect, but I knew that, hey, this this team is really going to go only as far as uh, TJ Warren and the guy above him can really, you know, step their game up and take them to that that spot. Yeah, I I really do like TJ Warren. I debated putting him as number one uh, because of what he can potentially bring. I think he could potentially be better overall then Lavert and Sabonis but the health thing just scares me so at number two I'm going with Karis Lavert his best screener Demata Sabonis I had to throw oh, you there for a little bit of a teaser so you did I have I have Domas at number two and here's why I just feel like Domas is kind of who he is at this point unless he starts you know becoming more of a three-point threat I don't necessarily uh, see him getting much better um, and not, not, not much better. That's a bad way to say it. I think he can continue to elevate his game at what he does well, but until he starts adding new things to his game, I don't feel like he's ever going to crack like the top 15 players. I know a lot of people want to compare him to Jokic and that's a great comparison, but he's just not as good as Jokic is at what Jokic does. So at number two, I think that's a great place for Sabonis. I know a lot of people are probably, shocked on the outside looking in if they were listening to this podcast because most people would say, well, Sabonis is a two-time All-Star. He's our best player. But in terms of potential, I think the guy that we both have at number one could significantly grow into that number one option. 
Absolutely, and that's why potential was a big part of the criteria here because Karis LeVert is entering his prime. He is a special talent. You know, on the defensive side of things, I think he's a capable defender that continued to get better. But I think on the offensive side of things, he's a gifted playmaker. I think this is someone that you can put the ball in his hands more. I think that the future is very bright for him. The Pacers should be every bit as excited as they are to have acquired a talent like him, especially in the situation. I mean, Alex, I've said it time and time again. I cannot imagine where this team would be in the fan base if the Pacers had either given Oladipo that contract and then he got hurt, or if he walked and we got nothing for him. Lavert was a true savior for this team moving forward, giving us hope. So, yeah, while the Pacers didn't achieve anything last year, the fact of having him healthy and on this roster makes me feel like we have a guy that can blossom into an all-star, while a guy like Sabonis has already been an all-star, and it just feels like some of the numbers he's put up, it's going to be hard to continue to top that. Yeah, no, I agree. I <laughs> Karis Levert is a guy that I think Carlisle is going to do works with and giving him the ball, you know, I'm not sure how they're going to utilize him, but I know that Brogdon is very capable of playing off ball. So we saw what Levert could do that last month of the season. He was really still trying to come back from that injury. It was crazy just because we were so just like, I don't know, shook with everything and how it happened in terms of, Losing Oladipo, Oladipo is the Oladipo era ended abruptly and kind of out of nowhere. Then you get Karis Levert and the trade's taking forever to process. You're like, what in the heck is going on? And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, something bad is happening right now. And the Pacers miss out on a healthy Karis Levert. But thankfully they caught what they caught and he was able to be, you know, healed, so to say, or not healed, but was able to get the surgery to heal his body correctly. So I really like Karis Levert. I think the potential is there. Give him this opportunity to grow and, and shine as a player. And let's see what happens. I think, like you said, with Rick Carlock coming in here, Sabonis is going to be reduced a little bit in probably usage, but I still think that he can put up really good numbers. It wouldn't surprise me if Sabonis still gets a nod for the all-star appearance to represent the Pacers if they have a really good showing this season. But Karis LeVert is a guy that has constantly shown in big moments why you can look at him and rely on him. I mean, he's done a really good job with those Brooklyn Nets teams before he got traded here, kind of being the man uh, that everybody was looking to to get them buckets and crunch time. So I like him as uh, as much as you do, Fachi, and I'm excited to see what he does as a player and, and, and see how he grows. Absolutely. I, I'm, that's someone that from day one, I'm going to be very excited to see the growth of Levert. Um, can't rave about him enough. So I just feel like, hey, we got some good options over here, but it's it's not by mistake that Alex and I both have Levert number one. This man can ball. Absolutely. So that wraps up a very lengthy episode of Setting the Pace where we basically went through two different rankings. It was a long episode, but a lot of fun Pacers content for you. We're going to have Kevin Bowen on on Thursday's show, and we're going to have a cool topic to debate. We're going to debate with Kevin Bowen if the Pacers made a mistake by not dealing one of the centers. So if you're interested in talking about or hearing us talk about that, please tune in for that podcast because Kevin Bowen is doing a great job on the Fan Morning Show being the new host of the show with 1070, 107.5, excuse me now, going all FM, changing things up, 
getting Kevin Bowen in there as their host as Jeff Rickard and Joe Stasniak are no longer with the fans. So excited to have him on and have him talk. But Fachi, enough of that. Where can the people find us at on social media? So you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You could find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace, and you could find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. I love it, Fachi. You're getting great at it. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating and a review. And if you haven't, go check out my pen tweet on Twitter. I am doing a free jersey giveaway for opening night. Any jersey you want, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to ship it to your house, and you can be able to wear it for any game you want. So... If you're a fan of the Indiana Pacers and hoping that TJ Warren is ready for the start of the season, say these three words. Let's go Pacers. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.